Next Chapter Podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ooh, pardon me, Kurt Cobain. Could you give me a, a noise explosion to start your follow-up record to one of the biggest albums ever made? Serve the servants. It's by Nirvana off their 1993 album In Utero. It's also number 435 out of 500 on the Spotify Ridge, the 500 with Josh Adam Myers. What's up, you kadoogly spooglies? Police Army, how you doing, guys? Thank you for joining me once again as we go through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums. Wow, we started off the last week talking about Kobe, and we lost somebody else that was really important to me. This week, lead guitarist of the band Gang of Four, Andy Gill, passed away, and really, really uh, bummed me out, man, because I got a lot of messages from you guys. This is what I loved about the podcast. I would have never listened to Gang of Four if I never did this. I would have never known anything about how influential Andy Gill was to Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers, to Tom Murillo from Rage Against the Machine. It's all because of this podcast and the journey that we are on. And I am lucky that I was able to become a fan of Gang of Four, to go see them live at the Roxy. I was supposed to go with Karen Kilgariff, but uh, she flaked because she was tired. But it was it was just such an incredible night, and Gang of Four is such an incredible band. And I, I mean it. It's it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing to be able to experience all of this music with you guys. So rest in peace, Andy Gill. If you haven't listened to the Gang of Four episode, it's 483 on our list. Karen Kilgariff's the guest from My Favorite Murder. Give it a spin. All right. We have a record that means a lot to a lot of you. So let's dive right in so we don't have to cut anything. Released on September 21st, 1993, In Utero is the third and final studio album by iconic grunge band Nirvana. Started in Aberdeen, Washington in 1987 by frontman Kurt Cobain and bassist Chris Novoselic, Nirvana released their first studio album, Bleach, under the independent label Sub Pop. The album was embraced by college radio and sold fairly well. After Dave Grohl joined as the band's drummer, Nirvana signed with David Geffen's DGC Records in 1990 and took a year to make Nevermind. Although they hoped for another modest success, they were overwhelmed when it exploded into a worldwide phenomenon, selling over 30 million copies. 
Nirvana didn't start recording in utero until early 1993, and to tide audiences over, their label released the compilation Incesticide. Meanwhile, Nirvana and their producer Steve Albini decided to record in the remote Pachyderm studio in Cannon Falls, Minnesota to avoid distractions and record company interference. In about two weeks, this raw and uncompromising album was recorded. Kurt and the band also had some serious issues with the finished sound. After reworking the record, the band and label compromised to release in utero. Met with mixed reviews, some chain retailers refused to sell in utero due to its back cover and the song Rate Me. But still, it debuted at number one on the charts. It slipped down the charts shortly after its release, despite censoring some of the album art and the offensive track title. The band began touring the album in 1993, but early on, Cobain suffered a drug overdose and a possible suicide attempt. After going to rehab and escaping, he was found in his Seattle home April of 94, dead from a likely suicide with a shotgun. In the wake of Cobain's death, In Utero shot back up the charts the following week. Although it sold 15 million records, decidedly underperforming the success of Nevermind, it has since gone on to be considered a classic of the genre. It's a band that so many people are in love with. They're obsessed. And my guest today is a huge Nirvana fan. From the great state of Washington, the one and only Jeff Dye. You know Jeff from his Comedy Central stand-up special hosting NBC's Better Late Than Never, from Last Comic Standing on NBC, and from his podcast, Jeff Dies Friendship, which is available on Spotify and everywhere. Never would have expected Jeff to be an incredible, incredible Nirvana fan. But you know what? Don't ever judge a book by its cover. Because there is a rock and roll grunge flannel buried in everyone's closet. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on Spotify. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcasts at gmail.com. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, guys, nothing left to say, but... Here we go, with number 435, here we go, with In Utero by Nirvana. Jeff Dime, June Bam, June Bam, Jeff Dime, my friend. You're the Jeff Dime. Thank you, buddy. I love that. All right, I gotta, I gotta say this because, so when this album came up, and and I had multiple, multiple people saying you have to get Jeff Dodd. Well, I appreciate that. And will you thank them? I there do. Well, I'm, th- I'm thanking whoever's listening. Yeah, that's nice. All right. Well, and immediately I was like, I was like, really? Yeah. I was like, he's so funny, but you're just so 
clean. Like yeah. you're so. Well, it's, it's all the illusion. Like, dude, you are like delicious Briars uh, vanilla you. ice cream. It's it's delicious. It's a classic. You're a plain slice of pizza. I love plain slices right. of pizza. And this isn't an insult, no. but you are all American. Yeah, it's true. You know what I mean? It's my look. That's the difference. You're gorgeous. Well, that's very nice. Of you. I I've, I look like the guy they casted in like a high school movie that's like out of here, fag, and like gets in his Camaro <laughs> yeah, and like, burns dude. out. I'm not that guy. I've just always looked. You know what I'm saying? Like when I was in Seattle, because I'm a Seattle boy, which is probably why people linked me with this. Cause, yeah. Like, nothing more Seattle than Nirvana. But I had like long floppy hair, and I like hung out the skateboard kids. I couldn't skateboard, but I held one, and I had a hoodie, and, and you know, I had the Misfits shirt. And like, yeah, yeah, you had, man, the, you had you know? all like full on Power Peralta. Just and then everything. when I moved to LA, they cut all my hair off and they put me in clothes that fit. And I was like, ooh, girls are gonna like this. No, just ever just kept calling me a douchebag. I was like, no, I'm the nice guy with the kitty cat shirts. And they're like, yeah, right. I'm like, I promise you. So it's like just such a strange transition because we've we've known each other for the last eleven years. Yeah. Um, but that's been the whole TV, Jeff. So it's like this weird. Very it's, successful. All I did was change my look, and uh, everybody's women, like, "Women love you. Yeah. Guys love you. Everybody loves you." It's insane to know that you have a crippling heroin addiction. That's the thing, man. It's it's, <laughs> it's part of it. I had that's no Seattle, idea. baby. That, that's what happens. We love Ken Griffith Jr. <laughs> Absolutely, and fentanyl. All right, yeah. so so tell me, so how did your love affair with Nirvana begin? Um, I, this is a weird thing to say, but uh, I, I don't have anything good to compare it to, but. There's never been a time that I've been alive where I don't recall Nirvana. It's always been there. But and how old are you? I'm a 36. You're 36. Yeah. So so Nirvana really popped. All right, so tell me, yeah, because I don't, I yeah. don't, I only remember Nirvana from being. It was like I remember watching MTV and it was Nelson's "I Can't Live Without My Love and Affection" with those two long-haired yeah. blonde. I thought there were guys. girls on the record. I was like, "Ooh, these girls are pretty." Oh, my dad's like, like, "Hey." <laughs> But no, hundred percent, dude. I think one of my first masturbatory like thoughts was looking at a picture of poison. I was like, <laughs> That's these amazing. girls are fine. Yeah. Wait, those are dudes. They're flat chested, but I, I'd hit right. it. I was like, all right, I'm gonna jerk off to CC Deville still, but the rest <laughs> of them, nah. But like that was the thing. I remember seeing Nelson, and you're like, I can't live without your love and affection. And then they're like, Kurt Loder's like new band. Yeah. And then the Nirvana smells like Teen Spirit, and it was like that I was like that that's what I want to be I want to be wearing flannel I want to dress like that I want to grow my hair long I love that and I at that time was probably seventh grade maybe so okay. I mean like 13 yeah all through grade school we were indoctrinated in Seattle like like they like if you didn't really like Nirvana you don't say you don't like Nirvana you go no I love Nirvana but I love this band more like you almost have to it's like saying you don't like Griffey you have to be like, oh, Dave Valley's my favorite. Griffey number one, though. Like, you just, it's part of, yeah. like, Nirvana is part of that. And there was a lot of bands like that. It was a lot of, like... Like Mud Honey. Mud Honey. But no, but what was Dinosaur the, Jr. What was the band that... Um, Alice in Chains? Before Alice in Chains. Uh, fucking Soundgarden? Soundgarden. Uh, and what was before Soundgarden? Kim, uh, Kim, Kim Thale, what is his name? The lead guy? Uh, uh, noise market. I don't Gosh, know. What's the opposite of Soundgarden? I was trying to think. There was no. all these bands that that a lot of the young people in my grade and or like in my age group where they wanted to be the ones that like, oh, this is something I like. I've discovered it. It's mine. You like the big ones, but I like this. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? And sure. there was a ton of those kind of bands. Pearl Jam was big. It was a they're from Chicago, but they were like 
considered a Seattle band, and then New York or Nirvana was considered like a Seattle band. But anyways, there's all these other ones that my dad would be like, listen to this, and I was like, I don't even know if I like this, but if I tell the kids at school, it'll be like my thing, you yeah. know? Um, but Nirvana was always like the number one, and in fact, I remember being really young, they would sneak up to Seattle, and there was this big myth and almost this rumor like, well, you know those rock and roll shows, they'll let anyone in. Like, they don't check IDs or nothing if you just like, and like, saw this big like skater gang of kids were like, we're gonna go in there, we're gonna try and get in. No, no one even knew where it was. And we're like walking around and like late at night we're like looking and like think this is it and it's like what so we never got to see him or do anything but like we all tried yeah yeah we're just too young and they're not gonna like fucking fifth graders so into so it. so tell me about like so so Nirvana's engraved yeah. into you but so like why did you connect with them so much is it just the Seattle thing or uh, well one the music's phenomenal two the um I it had this element of like self loathing it kind of had this like sound of like no one gets me. And I think every teenager can identify with that, and every preteen can kind of identify with that. Even if they're just feeling sorry for themselves or feeling mopey, you still have this feeling of like, yeah, man, mom and dad doesn't understand me. These teachers don't understand me. Truth is, I just had a lot of learning disabilities, and I wasn't trying real good, and my parents probably wanted to hang out with me, and I was like, you're embarrassing. But you manifest that in a different way, and you're like, yeah, no one understands. I Only the kids at school get me. And it's like, the kids at school know nothing about me. I'm cursing and just dressing like them and trying to find a group to fit in sure but i think that nirvana spoke to that yeah that's what nirvana felt like that's what i felt at least no i get it completely yeah. uh all right so let's dive into what our record is our okay. album is number 435 out of 500 it's the third and final studio album in utero by nirvana released on september 21st 1993 so for me i'm trying to remember where i was in 1993 around this time because i really didn't you know never mind connected but I was more of a Stone Temple Pilots fan. Love Stone Temple Pilots. Love them. Yeah, that great. was the band that really made me, like, it took me from hair metal into grunge. Because I was so yeah. hair metal. I was so Motley Crue. <laughs> really? Oh, my God. Like, we felt like that was our dad's music. Really? Yeah, we would. Di- I'm only five say, years older than you. I know, but we didn't have like that rock and roll spirit. Like, yeah, like we're just kind of like, no, this is ours. That's what? for Dad. Three Dog Night. Ugh, well, know? when I was when I was like, I remember when I was like seven years old. That's the first time I heard Guns N' Roses, and that was when I was like obsessed with them. And there was just I, any band, whether it was like Firehouse or White Lion. I was so obsessed with hair metal music that when it when it changed to to grunge, I still was kind of like I was like, all right, this is cool. I like I like that, but I just didn't know anybody that was really feeling it out yet. It wasn't until I got into ninth grade, I met Tassos Lenderides, uh, Ben Allen, Dave Cullen, all the guys that were hanging out at the smoking section in ninth grade. They wore the flannels. <laughs> they wore the Doc Martens. That was your group, and that was my group. Yeah. And that was fun. And that was also they were in a band, and they were like, "We're looking for a singer." And I was like, "Dude, I was like, I was like, I love Stone Temple Pilots. Do you guys know how to play Plush?" And they were like, "I mean, we're more Pantera, but okay." So they wanted to do I love that. Pantera and Nirvana. And I remember there was this divide. It's funny you brought up. Pearl was this Jam your first earlier. band, by the way? First band had okay. no name. <laughs> yeah. I know we just played in Tassos's basement, but I remember it was. The, the only bands they wanted to songs they wanted to cover were Nirvana and and Pantera and they they kind of, we did a little bit of Tool just a little bit yeah it's tough but I never really grasped on to to how important Nirvana was I still can remember the exact day really? that Kurt Cobain died yeah I remember we were Big hanging day. out at the Waters Landing uh, 
uh, elementary school like playground, smoking cigarettes, smoking pot, smoking cigarettes, and then Tassos told us that that Kurt Cobain died, and they were so upset, and I just didn't get it. It was like when JFK died. When my parents described JFK dying, is how like Seattle felt. Or actually, more comparable, I don't know when this airs, but Kobe Bryant just passed. And even if you don't care about basketball, or even if you love basketball, you didn't care about Kobe, there was a sad feeling in the air. Like, oh, yeah. It felt like the ma- like the real mayor, elected by the people, had died. Like, yeah, I, like would- I know girls that don't know anything about basketball, but you could just feel this kind of... Uh, weight on the city, and that's what that's what it felt like when Kurt died, for sure. So, so tell me about where you were in like in September twenty first, nineteen ninety three. Like, wh- what's going on when you first hear this record? Like, tell me what's going uh, on. In your I'm life. in school. I remember uh, there was a, the coolest kid in our school was a guy named Anthony Medina, who's passed since. Really, really, really cool kid. And anything Anthony did was what the group did. He was the Joe Rogan of our comedy scene back yeah. then. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, like, we didn't do a lot of thinking for ourselves. We just go, Anthony likes Jordan, so I like Jordan. Sure. Anthony likes Tool, we love Tool. I mean, like, whatever Anthony bought, we bought. I mean, he had more money. His family's rich, and we were all poor. But whatever he liked, we liked. And so what he would do is he was able to get these uh, CDs, uh, some tapes, but mostly CDs because he was rich. Um, and he would put them on for us, and it was Green Day, Dookie. It was, like you know, all these, like, uh, offspring, this kind of stuff. Uh, he liked Tool more than we did. That was one thing that we kind of didn't connect on uh, or that we didn't follow his suit. Uh, but one of the albums he put on was this exact album, and I can remember the exact day I heard it. We're in his giant house, which is really, to us, just a two-story house because we we're poor. We lived in the small house. Um, so we were like, oh, we're in his like mansion, and uh, and he puts this this album on. They have a deck? Yeah, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I was like, whoa, they could park the car anywhere. <laughs> they don't have to like look for street parking. So the... Um, he puts in the first, he puts puts the CD in, and the first song is called Serve the Servants, and it is the only time I heard an album start, sometimes they would start with like funny things, or like a little dialogue, or sometimes it would like kind of bring you in, or it would be like whatever. This was the first album I had heard um, where it just started with chaos. Like the song just starts with them going hard. Like it's not like a, you know, like when you do stand up, you're like, hey, how's it going? My name's Jeff Dye. Or like, hey, what a good looking crowd. Give it up for the rest. You know, like you even kind of ease them in. It'd be like you just going out there and just hammering with some crazy sure. impression or you like yelling or something. And I just remember being kind of uh, asking myself, do I like this? And then after like, Three seconds, this tug of war in my heart and mind going, no, I love this. This is, this is like speaks to like what's happening inside me. So I remember just immediately falling in love with the album. Not to mention the cover has like a a very interesting look. So I'm kind of staring at that as I'm listening to this first track. And the, um, and the, and the cover is, you know, it's, it's like a science. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's an angel. Uh, that's being dissected, I assume. Yeah, and we're like, why is her boobs full of like? We were like asking all these questions <laughs> to each other. We're like, is that is that what breast implants look like? And like, it's like, no, that's fat. I was like, yeah, right, Mike. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but like, we uh, we were just enamored by this album, and and Nirvana just already was so big in our heads that this was a, this was like this was the album for us. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. 
Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. Here are my thoughts about this record, though. So whereas whereas Nevermind is is a perfect album that has changed the face of music, and I yeah. think it's in like the top twenty on this list, well, uh, I think this is a good album. Now I gotta be I gotta like open it up a little bit because I don't just want to say it's just like I'm not blowing it off. I enjoy every song on this record, but I don't feel like I don't want to say it's great because I think there is kind of like an anger behind this record sure. like behind all the writing like i feel like kurt wrote this album as almost a fuck you to the mass audience that jumped on their bandwagon sure. after nevermind and that's why i don't think it's anything like nevermind because whereas nevermind was just made by three guys just who who have getting a little bit of like they're getting some attention in seattle making art and they're making art and they love each other and you know who knows if there's drug use still involved there probably is oh, sure. Uh, but I think there's like a sadness and an anger behind every song on this record. And, and, and I don't know what it's focused at. And that's, you know, because you're reading the lyrics in this, you're like, all right, so is he mad at the media? Yeah. Is he mad at the fans and the bandwagoners? Is he mad at his drug use and his feelings of pain? Like, who knows? It's it's not it's not really fully explained because every you can every out of so many yeah. different songs, you could pull everything I just said. Yeah. You could pull out of that. Now, I'm, I'm not saying it's bad. I, I just think that. You know, it's it's just it's the exact opposite right. of Nevermind. I have two thoughts on that. Good. One, I like every track on this album, and I think it's great. But I think it's because I'm not rem- not thinking about the song as much as just like my link to it. I can put it on. It's kind of like when like there's actually like Christian music that I have like in my iPod from like the old days, and uh, and when it comes on, I know it's a bad song. I can That's hear why it. we pray. <laughs> pray. That's like why we pray. POD's on. Like, satellite. You're like no, <laughs> and it's garbage. But like to me, it's got this familiarity. Um, and then the other thing I was gonna say is, uh, I think what Kurt's going through when he made this album, this is just my opinion, is similar to what a lot of people feel um, in like in, in comedy, in hip-hop, and all these different things. It's like, or especially punk rock. Oh my God, punk rock the most. Because you, you're like, nobody gets me, you all, whatever. And then everyone loves you. And everyone is accepting. Everyone's inviting you. Like, well, I don't want to lose my edge. And I don't want to lose my shtick. And it's like, it's like the old Chris Rock. Like, I'm so broke. And then it's like, dude, well, you can't keep doing these jokes. You, we yeah, know I, you made 20 million last year. And so he has an identity crisis. Like, how do I be Chris Rock who lives in a mansion next to Jerry? And so connect with all these and people. And so I think that's what Kurt's going through. Does he enjoy the big house in, in Aberdeen? Or not in Aberdeen, but like in Seattle? Is he enjoying... Um, this like this love affair that the city and the nation and arguably the world is having with him, and he's all those. Uh, I guess they weren't emails at the time, but all the offers he would get from his managers uh, must have quadrupled. Hey, how about fifty grand to come do this festival you weren't invited to last year? I mean, it's like this like 
he wants that. He's wanted that for so long, but now he's almost mad at himself. So the drugs and the self-loathing and all that stuff kind of like absorbs. He doesn't even know who he's mad at. He's, he's you know, that's what I think. Well, I, I think that actually is a perfect segue into the first song, which you already commented on uh, about the, it's just, this is, this is how they're starting the record. Serve the servants. Uh, Peter, play the intro. <laughs> I think this is uh, the perfect way to open up this album because I think it's setting you up for yeah. what the rest of this album is going to be like. Just good and noisy. Uh, I also think the opening lines uh, sum up how Kurt felt about the unimaginable, unimaginable success Nirvana found after Nevermind, where he says, Teenage Angst has paid off well. Now I'm bored and old. Um, it's also autobiographically addressing his relationship with his father, his parents' divorce, and, like I said earlier, the press and the critics' witch hunt of his wife, Courtney Love. Uh, I think this is a great song. I, I, I like. It definitely doesn't sound like anything off of Nevermind. I also do love that he's talking about uh, the, the reviews and the press and, the, and the, the witch hunt and all this different shit. So let me ask you this. What was the worst review or critique you've ever gotten? Uh, in my comedy? Um, I'm trying to think. Well, I, thought, I know the best one. That's so Jeff to only give you the positive. <laughs> um, the best one is like, Jeff Dye is slowly becoming America's Labrador. And I was like, that makes me so happy. Because, <laughs> like, they talk about I'm just, like, a dummy who's, like, happy and smiley. And I was like, that's my favorite review. And I think they were trying to insult me. I don't know. Maybe they weren't. The worst review? Um, was the worst review would be no review. Sometimes I do shows and they'll post all the photos of who was on the lineup. They'd be like, great show at the comedy store tonight. Black and white photo of Joe Rogan. Black and white photo of Ari. Black and white photo of Bert. And then there's, like, there, I was like, I was on that show. <laughs> they must have took some photos of me. Sorry, I'm not famous enough. You know, um, I'm trying to think. I should have a better answer. What's your worst review? <sighs> I don't know. Um, well, I, I'll say this. So I made a short. I made a short film in college. Uh, shot it on 60 millimeter. It was my final project in film school. Won my school's film festival. Was in uh, inducted into the Maryland Film Festival. Nice. It didn't win, but uh, shot it all handheld. It's it's basically remember the movie The Town. Um, about oh, yeah, like yeah. the Ben Affleck yeah, movie. So ben, that movie came out five years after my film, and my film was basically the town about these two oh, guys nice. that rob places, and one of them's a hopeless romantic, and he sees a girl in the convenience store. And so when they don't just take the register, they take everybody's wallet so he can like look into her wallet, find out where she works, and just try to pick her up. Yeah. Like as a natural, like, you know, without getting caught. And I was so proud of this movie. It's a good idea. And uh, I remember I moved out to Los Angeles and uh, my cousin who lived right up the street from me uh, was friends with like crazy hip actor dudes like the Johnny Depp's oh, okay. of, you know, like Jason Momoa is one of them. <laughs> well, yeah. So Aquaman. So give you an idea the way he yeah. dresses. Everybody dressed like a Mumford and Son. Yeah. Everyone like, looks like Cam Newton. The Yes, dude. Everybody was fucking cool. As Every fuck. girl in L.A. dresses like Cam Newton. Too. And, and I it's and, intimidating. And I and I and I and I was so proud of this film. And I tell him about it because I just won this, you know, they got into the Maryland Film Festival right before I moved out there. And I was like, I want to show you guys this because I want, you know, I'm I'm an oh, actor. I'm, I'm, I'm a director. I do all this shit too and they show them the movie and I remember they don't laugh they don't make any noise the movie's 22 minutes long and the movie ends and I remember uh, I'm not gonna name names but one of the actors just looks at me this guy does shit he's, he's working all the yeah. time now and he looks at me he goes yeah man that was terrible oh no and I'm like I'm like 
really? He goes, yeah, dude. He's like, you can't act for shit, man. And he's just oh, like, no. he's like, the other actors were so bad. He's like, you were all right. I mean, but dude, you need acting lessons. Oh like, my God. Yeah, man. And it just crushed your soul. Crushed me. And so I buried my face in a bag of cocaine that night. Yeah. And got you them have high to. And, and still rode their nuts. Like, oh my God, just please. Can I borrow one of your, 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 yeah. leather, your leather wrist fucking <laughs> gauntlets. gauntlets that you fucking wear? You, I love those guys now. And they're, they're the most supportive people I've ever yeah. met now. But I mean, that killed me. Yeah, it is crushing. It's hardly a review. It's just some jerk. <laughs> Why haven't so been, I'm not big enough to like to like be. I mean, dude, you could look at like my Comedy Central set for, on Bill Burr Presents, which yeah. is posted on Instagram. Nice. And uh, it's like I'm very proud of that set. And the first comment that somebody wrote was not funny. So uh, I mean, yeah. well, those comments are tricky too. Like I always tell people, I, like anytime someone's doing the Tonight Show for the first time, I'm like, don't look at the comments. And they're like, I won't. And you're like, dude, you're going to, but and don't. Like I'm telling you, like don't even consider it because the internet is uh, not for kind things. That's that's for garbage. Like the internet's for garbage. Yeah. That's what it is. Speaking of garbage, uh, when my Comedy Central TV show was on the air yeah. and they posted my set from the Comedy Jam, the first comment was. He's garbage. Oh, <laughs> garbage. Brutal. Oh, Wait, you're taking you, trash. You know trash cheer you up. You don't <laughs> cheer you up. Just go to the fun, the funnest, most pure video you can find on YouTube. Like of a baby laughing. You know, like a dad going bing, and then the ba this little baby laughing, and the dad goes bong. You know, and the baby keeps laughing. Very cute video. Who could hate it? You, you, go far enough, people will be like, that baby's a faggot. And you're like, what? <laughs> so like, of course they're not gonna. You know, th it's for garbage. How did they know it's gay? How? Yeah. How the baby's fucking two months? <laughs> yeah. Well, have you ever looked at um? Like when you're watching porn, like porn's fine, whatever, if you're into that. But uh, the comments, you're like, who are these monsters commenting on pornography? Like who's going down like, ah, oh, she was pretty good, but I'd have hit her way hard. with that. I'd have, hit, I'd have finished on her. You're like, who are these mutants? <laughs> All right, so let's move on to the next song. Yeah, let's because do it. This, this is where I feel like the album's really starting to come together for me. Uh, Scentless Apprentice. Now, for a long time, I thought this was called Senseless Apprentice. Uh... No idea it was Scentless Apprentice until I literally sat down to read the lyrics. Uh, the lyrics are based on Patrick Suskin's 1985 historical fantasy novel, Perfume, The Story of a Murderer. And that novel explores in graphic detail how important the sense of smell is. Uh, play my favorite part at 301, Peter. <laughs> written by Dave Grohl, mm. uh, the riff and the drum part, uh, making it the only Nirvana song besides Smells Like Teen Spirit to list writing credits as Cobain, Novoselic, and Grohl. Uh, I feel like they wrote this song to test fans of Nevermind to see if they are still down for this level of distortion. Because the only thing that might be somewhat close to it is like territorial pissings. Yeah. But it's like, this is 10 times noisier. So like I found out like they were like, Steve Albini had them like just sticking shit inside of like their, their amps and just oh, like, really? just breaking shit. I wonder shit. if I was misremembering earlier when I said that it start like Serve the Servants starts as like chaos. Maybe I was thinking of this song. No, there's multiple yeah. songs that are, that's, that sound like that. So you're completely right. Yeah. All right. So, being that it's called Senseless Apprentice, what's the worst fart you ever cut? Oh wow, interesting question. So I I was on I was one of the forefathers of farts uh, in my in my group in my community in my thing. I was an ugly ugly kid. I had braces. No, had big I'll show you. I will send you. I'll show you Please. pictures. I was like this thin. Um, I was very gang. Big hands, big feet, super thin. Just like a big like 
underbite, overbite. I had braces and like big floppy hair. Girls didn't start liking me till I was like post junior high, like and even high school. It was, it was a risk because I was poor and I had bad clothes. But the point of me telling this is, um, the way that I would get attention and the way people would want to be my friend and the way people would end was humor. I would yeah. just be silly and funny, and also I couldn't read, so like I had to like mask that somehow. So if the teacher, I would like just blur it out as getting suspended all the time. But also. The girls didn't like me anyways So I would just rip farts Off that hard chair Like in school Oof, yeah. I would just be like I would just be sitting there And I would just like Look around Like just kind of smiling like, Boom I just blast one And all the girls like Ugh. All the dudes Are just like That guy's a legend That guy doesn't care At all He just farted in class And it would become like This like whisper I was like Dude I didn't say anything I didn't come up with anything clever I just ripped ones Off those hard chairs And everyone's like That's the funniest guy At our school That's the best Yeah Dude. So, but, uh, but they never smelled bad I guess I didn't eat a lot I'm kind of a bird my my most man, I'll never forget this fart. Me and my sister and my <laughs> dad and my mom. Sentence. Me and my sister, my dad, and my mom. We went to the uh, the Van Gogh exhibit. Was traveling around America. It came from Amsterdam into the states. It was going to hit New York, D.C. So we got tickets. Went to go see it in D.C. And before we went into the National Gallery of Art, we went to El Mexicano, which is like our Mexican restaurant in Germantown. Okay. And I got a chimichanga, <laughs> and I got like we had some fajitas and onions, gas and then, fuel. Yeah, dude, gas and bit refried yeah. beans. And then we go to the the museum. And like there are, there's a line basically. So you're you're going. It's it leads you through. So you get time to look at one painting. Yeah. And then you have to move on. And then the people behind you get to look at it. And we're all because <laughs> there's like maybe like a hundred paintings. Yeah. And dude, me and my sister had the worst gas. Jody has the worst gas. <laughs> Called ever. out. And and me, we would just crop dust yeah. and then move on to the next photo. And you could just look back. Were and you guys see laughing the, about it? Like did oh, you enjoy well, it? We were trying to keep it in as best yeah. as we could. Uh, we wrote a song uh, that went like this. It was like crop dusting, bottom crop dusting, crop, and this goes on like. What age was this? Twenty six. Oh wow! What a great relationship, though. No, I think we were probably. 18, 19, maybe. Okay. Like, That's hilarious. He was home for the summer. And I mean, just seeing people's faces as they looked at these yeah. photos, like, oh my God, this is moving me. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. no, nah, you smell that El Mexicano. Chimichanga, you're smelling. All right. Heart Shaped Box. Uh, this is probably the most iconic song off of this record. Peter, play the chorus. Hey, wait, I So this was the f only song off of this record to reach number one in the Billboard Modern Rock charts. Uh, I mean, to me, it's it's this was the one. This is the song when you think of In Utero that, this, that you this, think this, of. The, this is the main event. How do you feel about this one? I love the song, but uh, I didn't know a single lyric of it. <laughs> we just made sounds. Like, it was hey, like, yeah. Why? I'm why I'm wait, we just chain. made sounds. We didn't even like think to ourselves, like, what are the words? Or like, what does it mean? We just go, I, I know all that. Why? And like, that's not it I at think, all. I think, I think he might have heroin mush mouth during the making of this yeah. record because after I read the lyrics, you, you really understand that this dude is saying some deep shit and at oh, the same yeah. time putting a bunch of nonsense words together and just telling a story. But this one. Details the battle of the wills inherent to a new relationship when one doesn't quite feel so strongly about another person. Uh, the first singles, uh, it was originally titled Heart Shaped Coffin. Kirk got the title for this from an actual box filled with mementos that Courtney gave him early in their relationship. Oh, wow. It also sounded like he felt stifled 
or imprisoned specifically by her sexuality with several euphemisms, if I said euphemisms, for vagina, because you got the whole, like, heart-shaped box. You also have meat-eating orchid. And then he talks about both of their astrological signs. And uh, I had also no idea that it was meat-eating orchid. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Until I read the lyrics. Um, yeah, an umbilical noose so I can climb. Here. I mean, like, the, I, I also, this is the line of the whole album. I wish I could eat your cancer when you turn black. Like, that was, like, when people heard that, like, what? That's the only line we knew. Yeah, you're right. I well, would here, say from that song. Play play a minute 28. I want you to hear meat-eating orchids and tell me what you think it is. Meat-eating orchids forgive no one just yet. I thought he was just saying meat-eating meat <laughs> orchids. When else when you're like, I'm reading it and it, like, it makes sense now. But there's no way I would have known that. No. <laughs> there's zero chance. Also, what's a meat-eating orchid? That's f- phenomenal. It's a vagina. Yeah, I know. That's but what that's... it is. It's all vagina references. <laughs> but it's so song. good. Obviously, he was he was really uh, whipped. I hate to use that phrase. Whipped by Courtney. Yeah. Uh, when were you most whipped in a relationship? Oh, man. I'm just coming out of that, I think. Really? Yeah, for sure. You had a girlfriend? No. Well, off and on. Yeah, I had an off and on girlfriend for a long time. Like, I was obsessed with her, but I was also not... Uh, uh, I wasn't the best. I, I I don't know. I just didn't want to do it. I would be back and forth. So I like we would get back together, and then I just be like I can't do this. It's too much. Uh, so I you know I take a lot of the blame. I'll take most of the blame. Uh, she likes to take none of the blame. How she did you take a little? Bit. How did you let her whip you? Um, I was just like she was so fun to be around, and then I would just like I would compromise anything just to, like kind of be around her. But then when she finally would be like okay I'm yours, I'd be like huh. Oh, uh, no. Yeah, I've done that before. Yeah, I did it for a long time to the same woman, which is just like, g- goodbye, trust. Goodbye. Yeah. You know, and she's like, all right, I forgave it. But she, ne- you don't, f- yeah, you can't. Yeah. You're just like, is he going to leave again? You're just going to leave again? You're just going to, so it's like, I broke her. But also, like, I was whipped for sure. Because I, like, even to this day, like, someone will be like, oh, have you ever been in love? I'm like, oh, like, I'll be on a date. I'll start, like, gushing about it. That's not a good look. Yeah. That's pretty whipped. That is whipped. If it's been, you know, it's been over. Dude, There's like I, new women, and I'm going, hey, let me tell you about Kim. Hey, Peter, I, I, mean, I don't know if he's really finished his interview. I didn't realize Jeff was such a pussy. Yeah, exactly. Jesus. Well, it's one Christ. woman my entire life. She was, she was like the one, I feel like. Wait, if I don't believe in the one. But I think if they're in my story, she would have been like that, that my Jenny to my Forrest Gump. Oh, and, but she treated me like shit, too. She's not off the hook. You know what? Fuck Jenny. Yeah, that's Seriously. what I say. You got a She's dog. A you're a good-looking guy. Yeah, I'm happy. You're, you got money now after yeah. being so broke. Yeah. Do you have a deck? I don't have a deck. Well, I have a, I have like a little porch. Yeah, a little uh, cigar porch. Well, you smoke cigars? I love cigars. I love whiskey, cigars. Fuck. All right, we're hanging. Yeah, let's All do right, it. All right, rape me. Yes. Uh, so this one. <laughs> <laughs> we're definitely hanging now. <laughs> rape me. All right, right now in this moment. <laughs> This was one of the older songs written for this record uh, that they they wrote during the mixing of Nevermind. And despite its provocative title, this second single was actually written as an anti-rape, life-affirming female empowerment song. Play my favorite part, the powerful outro at 2.22. Quite a I mean, message. I mean, it's quite yes, but but honestly, how is it empowering? 
sorry. So Kurt it's wanted not metaphoric. Right, so Kurt wanted to make a strong statement in support of women and against violence towards them. So in his words, the song is a sort of poetic justice. Yeah. A guy rapes a girl. He ends up in jail and is raped there. The song may also relate to Cobain's feelings of being raped by the media, in particular Vanity Fair and MTV. That makes way more sense. Yeah. Because not only uh, is it weird to say rape me in 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 an opinion that's against rape. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it makes more sense than the way like the media has raped him and the way those kind of things. But, you know, Kurt Cobain raped a girl. You said that yeah. earlier, so I've never heard that. Yeah. So the the as it goes, um, he when he was in school, uh, they used to go to this mentally challenged girl's house. I think he was in junior high or high school. He would go to like this mentally challenged girl's house, and um, and they would steal alcohol. Someone would distract her, and they would steal like the parents' alcohol. And then Kurt Cobain got into a big fight with his family as usual, and like whatever time later. And he was like, all right, well, I'm going to kill myself. Tonight's the night. I'm going to kill myself. And Aberdeen, Washington, I'm going to kill myself. But he also didn't want to die a virgin. So he, before he was going to kill himself, he went over to that girl's house, snuck over, and tried to have sex with this mentally challenged girl. He basically convinced a young, underage, mentally challenged girl to have sex with him. He couldn't uh, finish because he was so turned off by how she was not... Uh, she's obviously not maintaining her feminine hygiene because she's mentally challenged. And so then he goes out to kill himself. He lays on the train tracks. And uh, a train, as it's coming around the bend, he's like, all right, this is it. My life's over. But it was on the other track. Oh. Say, and it, the adrenaline and like the whole like everything that happened, he just like went home really fast, went to school. The next day, the father of the girl came to school and said someone sexually assaulted my and they were able to figure out that it was Kurt um, so kids in school picked on Kurt and it's not like the way we got picked on like there's a pretty good reason to pick on him I, I gotta imagine if I'm in school and I find out that one of my classmates forced himself on a mentally challenged girl I'd probably bully him also so a horrible chapter of Kurt's life obviously he's a young kid he's stupid as whatever it's like not I'm you know I'm rest in peace I love you Kurt with all my heart but that's a horrible thing yeah, that's a horrible story. It's a horrible little dollop on his life. But the, um, it's, you know, he he did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a rape thing. So I, I I'd find it crazy that he would make a song like that. You think you just steer away from that subject? People change. Absolutely. People change a hundred percent. Especially when we're <clears throat> kids. None of us are who we were yeah, when we were kids. Yeah, I mean, it's you, you don't even realize what you're doing is so bad at yeah. certain times. Um, when it's especially blurry when kids are doing adult things. Like when did you first do drugs? Uh, are we calling pot a drug? Sure. Fourteen. Uh, so fourteen. You're already doing an adult thing. Yeah. Or like drinking. Like I remember kids in my school. They were like, you know. So like these are adult things that kids are flirting with. It's very dangerous. Yeah. The number you have reached is one hundred point seven WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station. It was a lifestyle. Cleveland is a rock and roll city for sure. Get down. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. 
What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. All right, well, the next song is just as dangerous. Frances Farmer will have her revenge on Seattle. Probably my favorite song on the album. Uh, play the first verse. Yes, I'm relieving. Now that you're leaving. Soon as you can Powerful. Yeah. Just I powerful. Love that. My favorite part of the whole uh, song is the, the line, I miss the comfort in being sad, which mm. I had no idea was what the chorus was, just like you, because yeah. of Mushmouth Kurt. Kurt was obsessed with troubled actress Frances Farmer since reading David Arnold's 1978 fictionalized biography, Shadowland, Search for Frances Farmer While in High School. Uh, she was persecuted by the media due to her increasingly erratic behavior, and she was later diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Uh, you know what? I, I think this song, if, you're, if that's what she had to deal with, the, the, what I love about this song so much is that it, it, it and I think Nirvana is just the king of this, is, there, is they, how they can go from quiet soft. Quiet soft oh, yeah. to, to fucking hard and just intense. The next one is Dumb. Yes. Uh, which was written in 1990 and loosely references using drugs while also being about conformity and quality of life. Now, Kurt said, that's just about people who are easily amused. People who not only aren't capable of progressing their intel intelligence, but are totally happy watching 10 hours of television and really enjoying it. And he's like, I've met a lot of dumb people. They have a shitty job. They may be totally lonely. They don't have a girlfriend. They don't have much of a social life. And yet, for some reason, they're happy. Right. I, I can't agree with that more. Because one of, one of the statements uh, that I live by is ignorance is bliss. That's why I feel like the internet and social media is, is one of the worst things that's ever happened yeah. to humankind. Because we just know too much now. Yeah, and that's why people are depressed. People are depressed. They go on. They go on Instagram for twenty minutes, yeah. and the next thing you know, they're they're fucking suicidal. Like, My career's not going anywhere. Sure. I don't have a girlfriend. I wish I had a butt like hers. Right. They, it's just I completely understand that. So, uh, but I, is he I criticizing them when he said like the part you just read sounded like he was criticizing them? Like these guys are losers. Well, how are they happy? But how can I don't think it's a critique. I, I listen, I think it's a critique, but I don't think it's a it's a diss. Okay. When they're probably happier than he is. That's what I'm saying. Cause I have a my next album that's coming out uh soon on eight hundred pound gorilla Fuck yeah. is uh it's called Dumb is Gooder. And that's been my whole shtick. I did it on the Tonight Show. Like my whole thing is like you know why I'm happy? Because I don't get carried away in any of the stuff. People go, "Oh, did you hear about?" I go, "I don't, I don't mess with it. I don't, don't teach it to me." In fact, anytime I learn something, I usually just go, "Ah, fuck." <laughs> I wish I didn't learn that. Yeah, you know, I was like so much happier, just bopping around like a dog, living life. Like, isn't everything great? And they're like, "What? Aren't you upset about that?" And I was like, "No, dude." And the reason I started uh, writing material about that is because I getting into stand-up comedy is some of the smartest people. I've ever been around, at least when it comes to intellect and like people, sure. oh, not 100%. like necessarily book smart, yeah. but they're very, very 
uh, sophisticated people who can yeah, make you have good to look yeah. at life differently. It's, yeah. it's a perspective. And then I'd be in the same green rooms, and they're like going back and forth, like his foreign policy, it's primitive. And I'm sitting like, we should get nachos. You know, like I'm just like this simple, happy guy. And the people after the show, or after the show, but like after my set, would come up and be like, what was that? Like, like not a lot of people are just talking about how happy they are and how life is good and like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm doing a lot of bird material and stuff like that. Like, I still have edge and like intellect, but I'm a pretty simple dude. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Life yeah. doesn't have to be complicated. Y- I've y- raised my voice like twice ever. <laughs> uh, yeah. But you this song, at? this song is uh, Kim. Okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then once uh, I was like yelling at uh, a friend on the phone, and I, I called and I was like, that was like, wasn't like me. I've only done that twice. Cool fact about this song, uh, this and all apologies feature Kira, I'm going to screw her name up, uh, Shaylee on cello, the only other musician on this record besides Nirvana. And I know this is past when I was going to say it, but I just love the lines from the song, my heart is broke, but I have some glue, help me inhale and mend it with you. I love that. Um, Such right, good lines. Where was it? Ooh, very ape. Ooh. Play the first verse. <laughs> I'm happy to be here, but I wish you guys would have got Dave Grohl for this. He might be the only... So, I hate it when people say, oh, I don't care about celebrities, or like, oh, I never get starstruck. I get starstruck pretty often. Like, I'm always like, what? That's the guy, he was in Titanic. And yeah. like, like, I can't help myself. I get... But I saw Dave Grohl at Fox Sports. Yeah. And he... I was so starstruck, I didn't approach him. Like, I approach everyone. Like, I'm very like, oh, man, well, I love dumb. you. And, yeah, you're I'm like, just walk up. But Dave Grohl, like, not How only starts with- George Bush Senior? <laughs> I'll just I know walk up to your anyone. deathbed, but- <laughs> I would. I would go up to anyone. I went up to Toby uh, McGuire, like, my first day in Los Angeles. Like, I, I was with Adam Ray. We were eating, like, this little chicken place. And he was there holding his daughter, and I just go, what's up, man? And he was like- he like didn't understand like why would this guy just say what's up man everyone yeah. else is being respectful and ignoring me and I just was like hey like he was like my friend but Dave Grohl starstruck me and he froze me like I didn't I was like I don't know should we can we he seems super approachable were you on the show no so Terry Bradshaw oh yeah, yeah every yeah, Sunday so I was in this like little it's kind of like a green room but they have like open food and stuff so as everyone's like kind of socializing it wouldn't have been. I could have just said, "Hey, you know, my like, but, uh, my adopted father is Terry Bradshaw." Yeah. Um, but I just, I just didn't, and I regret it because Dave Grohl, Dave Grohl's the coolest. He's the coolest man. Just seems like such a nice dude, happy dude. We're gonna be best friends. He just doesn't know it yet. I was and, hoping and Terry would walk in, and then Terry, would, you know, he would see. Hey there, yeah. how you doing? Hey, my boy's here, and then he's just like, "Hey, come meet my boy. He loves, he's from Seattle. He's from- hey, David Grohl, how old? <laughs> yeah, David Grohl. He probably wouldn't even know who it is. All right, so the lyrics take aim at macho assholes, and it's willfully unintellectual. Uh, it was probably inspired by many of the people Kirk grew up with in Aberdeen, Washington. They probably made fun of him and stuff. Absolutely. Um, that goes into Milk It, uh, and after a couple of false starts, this shit kicks in with all kilter verses and thrashing choruses. In my opinion, one of the worst guitar solos of all time. Oh, really? Peter, play two, two, 240. I mean, it sounds like when you're in your garage, kind of like just trying to play it, figure something out. Like I mean, trying to play it, the. It, it, it's just, it just sounds like they are dicking around and I mean, rummaging this through. This is heroin. Yeah. This is heroin. Oh, yeah. This song, Milk It, is heroin because everything about it, it's just even the lyrics. So they're all mumbled and then he screams lyrics. And then I, for so long, I had no idea what he says when he screams, but he says, doll steak, 
test meat. What is that? Doll steak, test meat. But there's references to personal viruses and parasites, references to suicide and recovery, and it's not hard to make the connection to his heroin addiction and state of mind because I have been there uh, when you're coming off of opiates or you're just like yeah. in that place and he probably was because uh, it sucks Yeah, balls. Her milk dude. is my shit. My shit is her milk. Exactly. That's an interesting line. I mean, I mean you know. Test meat, doll steak. You know what I'm saying? I'm telling you. Uh, what is your experience with drugs? Uh, oh, gosh. I grew up in a very um, cowardly state, which now is making me so open-minded to everything. I didn't smoke weed until I was 23 years old. We picked up Chris Porter from the airport. Oh, we there were, it is. We yeah. were opening for him in Seattle. Hey, Jeff Dyer, you want to yeah. try some of this uh, super-duper <laughs> black crow weed? <laughs> and he puts on Remy. Yeah. I got a Remedy, Remedy, Remedy. Bell bottoms <laughs> yeah. just going like, hey, I yeah, want dude. some of this, uh, what's it called, a... Uh, Cabbage? What's it called? It's like called a, green crack. No, he's he called yeah, that funny name. Devil's for it. lettuce. It's all this weird stuff. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I, I was working at Hotel One Thousand as a valet boy, and uh, but I was also doing comedy at night. You know, I was really bad. I was like an open micer, but I was gonna get to open for Chris Porter, so we had to go pick him up from the airport, and he's staying at Hotel One Thousand where I work, and so I was like, this is so cool. I'm gonna get to breeze by the valet stand with Chris Porter. We're gonna go up to his room, and then he starts passing around this like pipe with me and the other comics, and I just never done it before. I didn't. Not do weed because I had strong opinions about it. I didn't smoke weed because I just, you know, I was afraid. You know, I just yeah. never, you know, whatever. So that was the day. I was like, I'm not going to say no. It blew Chris's mind. Chris was like, wait, this is the first time you've ever smoked? And I was like, yeah, dude, how do I do this? He's like, you sure you, sure you want to do this? I was like, yeah, it wasn't like a statement. I just never had done it. He was like, I was artificially inseminated <laughs> in yeah. a gravity bong. <laughs> Everything I do is about weed. Yeah. Uh, but so, but do you do anything else? Do you do? No, nah, uh, now I'm just all alcohol. I've never tried cocaine, and and here's why: I know I'm gonna love it, and then I'm gonna be king cocaine guy. I'm gonna be like, yeah, you I'm, got I, money too. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'll just be like, oh, I'm gonna do this all the time. Yeah. And that's what happened. Like I was a virgin until I was like 21, and then I had sex, and I was like, yep, I'm gonna do this a lot as often. Anyone that wants to, let's do this. Like it was like it changed everything. I didn't drink till I was 21. Then I started drinking, and now I'm like every night. Then like, I'm like the Cal Ripken of alcohol. What, did you suddenly? Yeah, that's a good. Thank you for that reference. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Baltimore in the house. Uh, did, did, were you like just an ugly? Because you're such a good looking guy. Yeah, dude. I was that very blows my weird mind. kid, weird looking kid. I also didn't try. Didn't know how to that, do my hair. That ugly, illiterate, dyslexic motherfucker, yeah. dude, farting in class. Yeah, I ain't giving him any pussy. But that's I why, why I was the funny. Girls sound like me. I should have disguised my voice. <laughs> yeah, that's a deep shit <laughs> yeah, voice. I'm trying to fuck me yeah. some Jeff Dye. I was like, I wouldn't have had sex with that one. <laughs> oh, well, I'm gonna do mushrooms for the first time ever. Do you want some? I, I take mushrooms once a week. Really? Yeah. Mushrooms are phenomenal and have really helped me. Uh, what else has helped me? Penny royalty. <laughs> Kick it, Peter! I have very bad posture. If I could be completely honest, I, I don't like this version of it. The version really? of Penny Royalty that I like is MTV Unplugged. I, I think that's beautiful. I think just him and the guitar. I don't really feel like this song needs distortion. I think this is a ballad of just, it needs to be a ballad. Uh, the reason I don't think I've ever become such a huge, huge Nirvana fan is their music is it's been the same. It's sure. it's just they, well, they made, died so young. I know, but I wanted to see what else they were gonna do. That's interesting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, see if they like, could turn that corner. Yeah, like yeah. what like would they have gone 
electric. Would they not electric? Like electronic, or sure. would they have started evolving with the times? Like I would have, like the way that Pearl Jam grew, and I mean Pearl Jam it was it was never grunge. They've always been rock and roll, and they're just putting out you know Neil Young esque, Bruce Springsteen esque sure. hits. Stone Temple Pilots, like they they grew. Soundgarden grew. Um, you know, and those are like the you know Alice in Chains, same thing. They never really got a chance to really evolve, but Nirvana. I just feel like all their two albums that the, well the three studio albums all kind of sound the same. Sure. This is just a little bit more distortion. What uh what do you think an old Kurt Cobain would be like? Exactly, man. I would have loved because look at what look at what look at what Dave did. Look at Ice T, <laughs> like a young Ice T. If Ice T would have died at twenty seven, and people would be like, you know, if he was still alive, he'd be doing like these. Uh, Crime acting television shows where he plays a cop, you'd be like, bullshit. I know. You know? But Dude, it's like, what would Kurt be? But all right, so cool things about this song. This was the third single uh, issued in April of 1994, um, but it, it was recalled uh, and destroyed because uh, Kurt died that month. So the same month they were going to release this as a single, they pulled it off the shelf. And this song dates back to 1990. It was actually debuted at the same 1991 show where they played for the first time Smells Like Teen Spirit. So this song has a real history. It was written in in an Olympia, Washington apartment he shared with drummer Dave Grohl. And he said, Dave and I were screwing around on a four track. uh, And I wrote that song in about 30 seconds. I sat down for like an hour and a half or half an hour and wrote the lyrics and then we recorded it. And this is what Kurt said about the song uh, after it was released. He didn't like it. That's what it says. He didn't like the version that they released. Interesting. He goes, I think there are a few songs on In Utero that could have been cleaned up a little bit more. Definitely Penny Royalty. That was not recorded right. There's something wrong with that that should have been recorded like Nevermind because I know that's a strong song. He knew it was a hit single. I, I just don't know if this is a hit single. I think that the... God, I feel like I'm such a dick saying this, but I, I just think that the the acoustic version is is ten times better than this. What one. is Penny Royalty? Is it a brand? Got it right here. It's a notorious herbal abortive, but the song is also about Kurt's depression and chronic stomach pain problems because you know he dealt with that. Right, like he was in a lot of pain. He weighed like nothing, by the way. That's why he wore like 19 layers. Yeah, like, he weighed nothing. What else is so gross in Seattle all the time that like everyone was wearing like sweaters on sweaters? Yeah, he kind of made it like a fashionable thing. So, uh, as Kurt said, it's a cleansing theme where I'm trying to get all my bad, evil spirits out of me, and drinking Penny Royal tea would cleanse that away. And there is also the mention of a Leonard Cohen afterworld in the light of Kurt's suicide, inspired regret. In Canadian singer-songwriter who said, I'm sorry, I couldn't have spoken to the young man. So, Which is great, because he's like, oh, God, that was just a song. Yeah. <laughs> I could have told him that it was just a song, and that there's, no a- there's not an afterlife like in that track. <laughs> yeah. Poor uh, Kurt. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. What do you regret? Um, That's a good question. I've been pretty reckless with uh, friendships and uh, and and female romantic relationships, which at the time I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. But like in hindsight, I was like, man, I could have been a little more 
thoughtful. I think when I was real, I grew up, like I said, without a lot of money, and then God, you won't shut up about. I it. know, like the but, ninth time you've said that. Oh well, sorry. I don't know why I keep saying it, but I was starting to say that, uh, like, I was even homeless, like, for a little while when I first started stand-up comedy. Oh wow! And uh, I used lying as like a tool to just get things. You know, like I didn't think of lying as bad or good. I just thought like it's a tool to get me what I need. It was like survival. And so I justified it by saying, like, oh, I had to. I was broke. But in hindsight, like, it's dishonesty. You know, and I was, I was lying a lot, and I was very deceptive. And then once you lie enough and you become a liar, you learn, oh, this is a great way to navigate things. Deception is a great tool. And so I've worked on it a lot in the last, like, decade. And I, I'm very honest now with myself is why I'm very at peace. But I think I spent a lot of my life just being a straight-up liar. Yeah. What was the biggest lie you told? Um, just my, I would lie about like my whereabouts to people or I would like, even like back then I'd be like, Oh, I was just got back from New York. I'm doing stand up comedy out there. And they're like, Oh, good for you. It's not true. Yeah. I was just trying to sound cool. I was yeah. trying to make it seem like I was more important or that I was succeeding more than I was. Uh, or, you know, I didn't want them to know I was hooking up with some other girl and I'd just be like, Oh, I just got back from New York yesterday. And they're yeah. like, what? Uh, so I was just, just a liar. I was a, yeah. I spent a lot of my life being a liar. No, I get it. I, I get it. Yeah. Um, all right, radio friendly unit shifter. So this was written in 1992, and it's Kurt's reaction to Smells Like Teen Spirit's omnipresence in pop culture. After a switch to four month media blackout, the final title expressed the desire of the record company for another hit of Teen Spirit's magnitude. Oh, I get it. So the title is basically it's like a mo it's mocking the fact that the record company's like what's that going to be oh i get it yeah. kurt has said the lyrics were mostly odd lines of poetry he just threw together play the bridge at 204 <laughs> Hate your enemies, save your friends, find your place, speak the truth. I know this is just like these odd lines of poetry, but that's a mantra. Absolutely. That's shit to live by. I mean, that's that's this this is shit that I say. I mean, I don't say hate your enemies. I was going to say, mean, that's pretty anti-Jesus, yeah, Sermon I mean, on the Mount. Yeah, I mean, of course. But, I mean, this is, you know, heroin addict we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. Save, save your friends is beautiful. No, but I, I, I love that. Um, so, basically, this song is a, is about anti-fame it's it's the opposite of what's fun about fame what is your least favorite part of fame and let me guess is it terry bradshaw <laughs> not at all <laughs> one of my favorite parts of having any sort of notoriety um i don't think that there's any downside to having some sort of notoriety i get certain people not liking it i think kurt cobain's one of the rare celebrities who didn't like it amy winehouse fits in that camp but a lot of people pretend to not like it so they seem so more down to earth I got, I got, I, I got to disagree with you on okay. that because the two people that you mentioned, it's a different type of fame. They're huge. What you have, oh, of course, is you can go to Hugo's Anywhere. and maybe somebody, you know, maybe every, maybe once a day somebody goes, "That's Jeff Die." Sure, and, and not knocking you at all, of course, because but you because you're out there, you're doing shit, you are a celebrity. But there is, but here's the difference: Kurt Cobain is having, he's been dead for. For I don't know twenty something years, twenty uh, almost thirty years, almost man. thirty years, and we're sitting here gushing about him and dissecting his art and what he felt and what we learned about his life. Then I don't imagine unless some things change in the next thirty years that people are going to be doing that about my art. That so yeah, that's that's the change or that's the difference. Like sure, he can't go to Air One and buy like a smoothie if he was still alive, uh, but 
we adore him and we love him. And so like we might not own uh, the people own him and we own him. We have a piece of him. Like he's really affected our lives. And I think that that that's nothing to go roll your eyes about like, Oh God, I can't even go to McDonald's. Well, guess what, Kurt? You're a legend, dude. Like we love you. And like everyone, the people that don't even know you mourned your death and come to your house. You know what I'm saying? When I die, people that love me are going to be sad, but they're not going to, you know, you know, so I think that that's the difference. Yeah. And I, I just only see it as positive. And I think like I've like I've I'm lucky where I'm at my career when people come up to me they're just saying like dude you're great we love you can we get a picture or something same with uh, most celebrities it's a very nice thing all right uh, we're gonna skip over Tourette's it's a short song I do love it uh, go to the big hit and go to the this big one didn't get number one all apologies yeah in my opinion yeah well not opinion like you said that the only thing on this oh that no, got no 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 uh, this is no there, was heart shaped box uh, yeah heart shaped box went to number one uh, let me just double check not that apologies no I, I no uh, all apologies did not go to number one. Um, it's dedicated to Courtney and her and their daughter Frances Bean, and it was a response to the notorious and frank 1992 Vanity Fair interview Kurt and Courtney gave that caused them to lose custody of Frances for a while. Do you remember that? Yes, because they were uh, seen as like unfit parents. She admitted to like taking drugs while she was pregnant, and it was like a whole debacle. Like, what did she say? It's like Mike Tyson admitting that he broke his neck right before the fight. They're like. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, Courtney, you said that to everyone. Yeah. Uh, as an album closer, I feel like this kind of cleanses the soul, you know? Yeah. It, it's it's really beautiful. It's I much- didn't know that's what it was about. In fact, every little tidbit you've given me about the songs, I didn't know any of this really? stuff. Yeah, it's very interesting. And that's why this podcast is so it's successful. Awesome. I only knew the songs and I knew like my opinions on it, obviously, but like that's fascinating. Uh, I, I love I love the, the title, All Apologies. Um, let me ask you this. If you can make one apology to yes. anyone... Who would it be, and what would you say? Oh, man. Uh, I guess I'd apologize. I, I lost a sister who was, like, real cool to me who, like, uh, you know, can't really. I've apologized to everybody I've ever done anything Not to. me. Well, I haven't done anything wrong to you. You were two minutes late. <laughs> <laughs> I had to find street parking. I don't, have a, I don't well, want to tell I'm people sorry. where you live. Well, but, I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> not the easiest uh, area. It's up in the hills. Just wait till you start doing it's it in downtown. the hills. Yeah, well, yeah, good. <laughs> uh, uh, but I would apologize to my older sister for not being a little more present. I got the luxury of being like the younger brother who could do no wrong, so I kind of took advantage of that for sure. But she was like a mom, and she like did everything for me. And then when she was kind of going through her like, she had the real rough end. Uh, I was kind of like distanced myself from it because I just didn't know how to handle it. Was but she with drugs or a lot of stuff? Yeah, she was just a mess, and then she did some time, and it was just like, and then she died in a car accident. It wasn't like she oh. didn't die from drugs or anything. And then uh, it just kind of felt like, ooh, like man, I could have been there more. You know, you think yeah. about that stuff when no, mortality's involved. Uh, but I love her to death, and uh, I, I wish I was more. I wish I was around more in the last when it got rough. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely understand. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel the same way when my dad died because uh, I had a month where I could have been there sure. and really uh, – he had he had an aneurysm in his heart and I could have gone home and just taken time off. I was like two years, three years into comedy at the yeah. most. And I was like, I got to get back to L.A. because I got I to gotta work on my career. Right. Like something's going to happen to a three-year comic for a month. But it's emotional distraction. Like you're it's, like, yeah. Like yeah, man. Yeah, you, it's, it's out of sight, out of mind. You don't want to, you know, you you don't want to be there to watch them destroy their life. And yeah. in my dad's case, I didn't want to be there to watch my dad die. Yeah, it's going to change I, your perspective a little yeah, bit. Yeah, so, so I get it. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's beautiful, man, because she's if you, you should just say it out into the universe yeah. because she hears it. Of course. I talk to Ange all the time. I talk to my dad. I constantly say to my dad, I'm like, I told you. I told you <laughs> I was going to make it, motherfucker. I told you. 
I made more money than Jody this year. Go fuck yourself, Dad. I didn't say that. I, good. Sometimes I do. All right, you want to do some facts and get out of here? Let's do it. All right. Facts, facts, and facts, facts. <laughs> Kurt's original title for the album was I Hate Myself and I Want to Die, which, uh, side note, if you want to buy that T-shirt, uh, my my f- best friend Eric's company, Meth Syndicate, sells T-shirts cool. that say I Hate Myself and I Want to Die, at Meth Syndicate on Instagram. I love them. Uh, but he didn't think people would take it as tongue-in-cheek as he intended. That is the problem with buying that shirt. You're wearing that around, people go, oh, that's a red flag. Hey, we should talk to that guy. Yeah. Hey, you might need a sticker for the suicide <laughs> prevention hotline. I mean, that's just a rock t-shirt, dude. I, I mean, I've, there's, you know, if, I've seen a lot of asses say juicy that are not juicy. Absolutely. You know what Talk I'm about saying? false advertising. <laughs> hey, that kid's not suicidal and her butt's flat. <laughs> All right. After the tremendous success of Nevermind, Kurt and the band had creative control of their career and chose Steve Albini to produce the follow-up due to his past production with the Pixies and the Breeders. Uh, Love the Breeders. Never really dug into the Pixies yet. Can't wait. Uh, But I love the Breeders. Kurt thought Nevermind sounded candy-ass, so he wanted Albini to make an unpolished and raw record, and I think in both of our opinions, uh, that was achieved. Absolutely. Albini refused to take more than $100,000 and passed on back-end percentage points from the album because he felt that that wouldn't be fair. Uh, What a horrible decision. What's the worst business? I bet he's got some regrets. Oh. What's the worst business decision you ever made? Uh, I signed a contract with a guy. He goes, hey, man, I want to help you out in Los Angeles when you move down there because I just got on Last Comic Standing. He's like, I know you don't know anybody. You live in Seattle, and you're going to be going down to L.A. I could help you connect you with people, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. And he's like, Doesn't, I'm not like your manager or anything. Like, I'm just going to like try and help you plug you in. And if you, 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 know, if you book something, then give me 10%. And I was like, yeah, like a manager. And he goes, yeah, but don't worry. Like, I'm not going to, like, be weird about it. Like, you know, whatever. So I was like, oh, okay. And then I start killing on the last comic standing. And this guy's like, hey, man, just to protect me, you know, for when you get down to Los Angeles, will you sign this thing just saying, you know, you're going to give me 10%. Not a strong reader, right? We've covered that. Yeah, but we uh, yeah. <laughs> So I'm just, like, looking through a contract. He's like, I love this guy. I trust this guy. Just scribble my name on there. And then literally I go on. I never hear from him. I go on to make a lot of money that year. I made a show with Ashton Kutcher on MTV called Numb Nuts that like took forever to air, but it was like in the vein of kind of jackass, yeah. and, which is TV money, you know, like getting good money per episode, and then also touring and the last comic standing tour. Tournament. And then this dude just pops out of nowhere. It's like I was his manager, and he owes me all these back commissions and all this other stuff. But I'd already paid those commissions to my actual manager at the time. So my biggest regret was just trusting. I had to learn a real painful lesson when I wrote that check. To this guy. Oh, and, you uh, had to a pay huge it. Huge check, and I. Can I, I can, you gotta tell me. I'll tell you the amount. It was uh, about like eighty-five thousand dollars. Oh. But my. that wasn't even uh, that yeah. wasn't even the amount. That's what we settled on. Oh. So we didn't have to go to court. It was more than that, and so. Uh, and you don't have a deck. I've got a nice cigar porch, man. It's really nice, you know? It's L.A. You know, things are expensive here. Oh, my God, Peter. Please. When I own, at least I own, you know? No, 100%. And, yeah. But you spend too much money at Hugo's. I know that for a fact. That is yeah. true. Yeah. I go all out. Uh, business, bad business decision. But I learned the hard way. Don't just sign things. No. Read that. Well, you signed our contract, which but I'll take a check. This had nothing to do with money. <laughs> I'm not being paid, you know? I'm here because I like you. 100%. You're good. Okay, don't worry. Make sure we get I'll that say, money. Listen, it's, that's sure not what that I. Money. That's not what it was. There was a page missing. Run, run, liquor <laughs> attack! All right, and this uh, is the final fact. Uh, while listening to the final mixes in the studio, the band celebrated by lighting their pants on fire and then putting them out with beer. 
<laughs> that tr- that's amazing. That's incredible. That's a party. That is a party. Lighting your actual pants on fire and then putting it out with beer. You ever do stupid shit when you're fucking my wasted? whole life? Yeah, well, well not wasting this. On, yeah, actually, Brant calls it Hurricane Jeff. So like when I'll get real drunk because on the road it's lonely, man. I'm so a like, hurricane too. My friend calls me a hurricane. Yeah, only when I'm super drunk. So like I'll drink every night. I'll be fine. I'll be like Jeff, so happy and smiling. He loves whiskey and he's like flirting with pretty much everyone. You know, just like I'm very potty. I touch people and I'm, I'm I'm never afraid to share how I feel. So I'm always like, man, you're a great comedian. I love you, man. I really, if you ever need anything. But sometimes I'll drink too much, you know, and I'll just want to break stuff. It's not out of anger. I just love breaking stuff. So I'll, like I'll knock like an uh, I'll like, karate chop like with my forearm like a uh mirror off of somebody's car and brand's like jesus man like that's just like somebody's car like i want to see like a street like i'll hit a street sign or i don't know just break kick sprinkler heads that's hurricane jeff get the fuck away from my car yeah had a few and i'm not proud day. of this i'm no. not proud of it but that's uh that's some reckless jeff die well i'm proud that you, you came on this podcast thanks 100 yeah i love you man thanks thank, for having me thank, Appreciate you, you. thank you for coming on brother What I tell you guys, the one and only Jeff Die. Find him on all social media at Jeff Die. For all things Jeff Die, go to his website, jeffdie.com, and make sure you check out his podcast, Jeff Die's Friendship, on Spotify or anywhere you get your pods. Now, we just listened to Nirvana from 1993. For new music this week, I have selected a near and dear friends band, One Inch Voices. They're from Maryland. They're from the district. They're from Virginia. It consists of my very good friend, Tassos, Lend Me Your Wheaties on drums, and his buddy Eric and Nurses on vocals and guitar. The band's called One Inch Voices. The single's called Hampered. Their album is called Will They Work on Humans, dropping April 17th, 2020. If you want to find them on social media, check them out on Instagram and Facebook at One Inch Voices. And their link is on our website, and you can find their music on Spotify. And if you were in a band and you want your music featured on the 500 and you're directly influenced by one of these albums, send us your music to 500podcast at gmail.com. Next week is Big Star Week with their 1972 album, Number One Record. You've got some homework to do? Listen on Spotify. Stay fleecy. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. And Decent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Next Chapter Podcasts.